We're proud to be sponsored by MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Schools can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, win time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and much more. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make your flex time work for you. Visit MyFlexLearning.com B to learn more and receive $500 off the first year. That's MyFlexLearning.com B-E. How many times do we talk about accomplishing our goals and reaching for those goals, but often leave our values out of that conversation? See, sometimes we believe that we can separate the two. And while straying from our values may still allow us to accomplish our goals, they become hollow, meaningless. And we still find that we possess that feeling of being unfulfilled because we've moved away from our values. Hey, everyone. Dr. Jones here with the second episode in this Divergent Leadership series with Sam Terrell. And this episode is fantastic simply for the fact it talks about still accomplishing your goals, but through a framework that Sam has developed about values, goals, and process. This is an important framework because it teaches leaders or encourages them to stay hands-off when it comes to process. This is another way to enact empowerment, which is something very near and dear to me. If someone can accomplish the goals without sacrificing the values, then why would we care about the process? But before we do that, we need to make sure that we are clear on our values, we communicate our values, and that everyone else knows what they are. How do we do that? By defining them and making sure we have touch points to determine if we're meeting and practicing them. And finally, something about goals that really resonated with me that Sam said, if two people are in charge of a goal, no one is in charge. Let that sink in for a moment as I now turn it over to Sam Terrell in our second part of this Divergent Leadership series. He is fantastic with a ton of valuable takeaways. But don't take it from me, take it from Sam Terrell. And remember, share those valuable takeaways with Sam and I on social media and other people. And if you want to make sure you get all these episodes, hit that subscribe button and leave an honest rating and review. Now, let's all get to getting better on Seeing to Lead with Sam Terrell. Let's talk about flex time in schools. The potential benefits to our students make it worth exploring. More time for personalized learning, increased choice and agency for students, and the increased engagement that comes along with it. Dedicated time for intervention. Overall, as school leaders, it gives us and our faculty more tools to increase academic achievement. But the implementation and management of flex time can be a challenge. Tricky logistics and a lack of clear accountability systems can prevent teachers from buying in and can hold us back from ensuring students make good use of their time. I'm pleased to share that MyFlex Learning provides a solution to these challenges and more. MyFlex Learning helps you create and manage flexible time for any purpose, and with seamless SIS integration, a student locator, flexible daily rostering, and an intuitive mobile app, it eliminates the common challenges of implementation and management. Want to see for yourself? Visit MyFlexLearning.com B 
to learn more and receive $500 off the first year of use. That's myflexlearning.com slash BE. And so when students ask the question, what should I do? I usually tell them it's the wrong question. Uh, you have to start with who you are. What you should do will be a natural byproduct. That's a process question. Doing is the process. So before you get to what you should do, you have to recognize who are you and where are you, where do you want to go? And once you have clarity on where you want to go and who you are, the process to getting there become a lot more clear. And there'll be several options and you just have to pick one, try it, see what works, fail or, or succeed, learn from it and keep going. Dr. Chris Jones here and welcome to Seeing to Lead, a show designed to help leaders increase their ability to effectively support, engage, and empower their staff through intentional practices so that they create an environment where everyone reaches their greatest level of success. On Seeing to Lead, communication rules the day as we hear voices from both teachers and leaders in an effort to examine perspectives, highlight misunderstandings, and provide steps to ultimately bridge the gap between what teachers need and provide through thought dialogue. This show is about amplifying voices, creating understanding, and providing information to help everyone continually improve. I want to personally thank you for taking the time. Now, let's get to getting better. Okay, well, welcome back, all my Seeing to Lead podcast listeners. I'm excited to have you here for the second episode in the Divergent Thinking and Leading series. And once again, I'm here with Sam. And if you remember, Sam, is a serial entrepreneur and TEDx speaker. He's the founder of Divergent U, a one-year alternative to college in Orlando, Florida to help students discover their professional purpose and achieve their dream lifestyle. Now, when Sam and I were talking in the last one, which by the way, welcome, Sam. I don't want to just jump over you and keep talking. Oh, thank you for having me again. Happy to be back. We were having a really good conversation about the overview of Divergent U, why it came to be, how you came up with the idea. And basically, leadership philosophy is what we're talking about and some of the issues that we're having in schools today. And two of the real big pieces we came up with, because we're both in agreement, and I think anybody listening to this is pretty much in agreement, we need to do a better job of creating leaders as they come out of school. And one of the things that we have to battle is the idea of making mistakes, that fear of making mistakes. And with grades, with standardized tests, with convergent thinking, where to remind everybody is thinking to a point or a, where there's a right or wrong answer. So that builds that fear of being wrong, where in divergent thinking, you're thinking outwards. So you're, you've got multiple solutions and it's about making mistakes to be right. So students have to get over that fear, which we don't really, we don't really cultivate that in high schools these days. We say we do and we try a little bit, but not really programmatical. It's still that system type thinking. And then the idea of leadership being difficult and unclear. Boy, everybody likes clarity in their life. Because we've got that idea, we want the right answer. And if leadership or if life was clear and was not difficult and problem-free, well, we wouldn't need leaders. And you and I wouldn't be sitting here telling people that there is a loud and clear call in the world. I mean, just look around for people with better leadership skills. So my question is, how do we develop these leadership skills or how do we do a better job of addressing these in schools as we move forward? Absolutely. So I actually gave a TEDx talk on this model I'm about to explain. It's divergent thinking model, which is rooted in everything that we do at Divergent U. 
And it's basically three simple steps. Values first, then goals, then process. And so this is a process of expanding um, where students will set their own values, unique values to them. This is defining who you are. Whether I have a million dollars in the bank account or zero dollars in the bank account, when I walk into a room, am I going to be the same person? Taking away the external and saying, who am I internal? What are my values? What will I stand for? How will I present myself in a situation? So we start foundation with the values before anything else. And then second is goals. So setting very tangible, clear, measurable, specific goals. Setting a goal over a three-month time period is usually a good place to start. So helping students set that somewhat longer-term goal, not one week, not one month, three months out, and then work towards that goal. And again, that's something that they set on them on their own based on their own interests and their own own ideas. And then process is the attempting, is where we're attempting that goal. All of this is divergent thinking because there's not a single right answer to what your values are, not a single right answer to what your goals should be. And there's not a single right answer to the process, which is where a lot of leaders get confused and micromanage because they're micromanaging the process. To, to pull this into the business setting really quick, if you look at a business you set up the business with values first. What are the values of the company? What are the goals of the company? The process is how the team goes about following through on those values and those goals. But what a, a most managers will do is try to micromanage the process. Whereas what I've done and what we teach with the businesses we work with, the students we work with, is to be hands-off with the process. If someone on my team can accomplish the goal without sacrificing the values, then why do I care how they get there? They accomplished the goal. They didn't sacrifice the values. So it allows me to be hands-off as a leader because I know what our values are and I know what our goals are. And if they're accomplishing those goals without sacrificing the values as a company, then that process can be as divergent as they want it to be because it's working. So it gives the employee, in this case, an opportunity to bring their own ideas to the table. You can take that to the individual level where if you are living within your values and, and your goals, then the process almost creates itself. Because you know where you're going and you know who you are. And so when students ask the question, what should I do? I usually tell them it's the wrong question. Uh, you have to start with who you are. What you should do will be a natural byproduct. That's a process question. Doing is the process. So before you get to what you should do, you have to recognize who are you and where are you, where do you want to go? And once you have clarity on where you want to go and who you are, the process to getting there come a lot more clear. And there'll be several options. And you just have to pick one, try it, see what works, fail or, or succeed, learn from it and keep going. And so that's the process that we've implemented at Divergent U. And then I've implemented in a lot of companies, both mine and other companies I've consulted with to help them accelerate what they're doing and make decision making so much quicker and easier because you're aligning decision making to your values and your goals. So can you give me an example? Because you have your basketball company. Mm -hmm. And you have Divergent U. Can you give me an example of working with your team, your leadership team, of what that looks like on your end? So you're Absolutely. you're supporting the idea of divergent thinking in this framework, which sounds fantastic, but what does that look like? Yeah, so in practice, there's two major components of this from a business standpoint. And one is our quarterly goals. So before we get to the goals, I'll start with the values. So I guess the first would be our daily core value meetings. So we have five core values that we define as a company. And every day of the week, 
we're checking in with our team remotely for a 15-minute session going over one of those core values. So for example, one of the core values of the Group Brothers is leadership. So Monday, we have our leadership call at 10 o'clock, 15-minute call. And that's everybody on the team. We have a few leadership team members. We have a couple of part-time. We have a couple of contractors. We have a couple of interns. Everybody on the team is in that call. So it's like 10 to 15 people on the call. And the leadership call is every single person defining what they want to accomplish that week and owning it. So we're practicing the value of leadership when someone is defining what they're going to be doing and owning the result. The Tuesday meeting is our values collaboration. And so Tuesday, every same thing, we're there for 15 minutes. Everybody comes to the meeting. Where do you need help? And so everyone has to say one area that they could use support. It encourages collaboration. We're practicing that value. Wednesday is divergent thinking. This is where we're coming up with new ideas. What are your ideas that we could be doing that we're not? And how can we implement those? And so these are just quick check-ins with the team that become really routine. And so it instills those values and keeps everybody on track on a daily basis. So even our remote team is able to check in and feel like they're a part of something. I feel like they're a part of the culture, even if they're in a different uh, physical place. So that's how we implement that on a day-to-day basis. And then all of that's driving towards the quarterly goal. So we set those three-month goals that every goal should have one person responsible for that goal, not two. Two people are responsible. Nobody is. Um, because ultimately, if it doesn't get done, where do you point the responsibility for that? So the final decision maker or the final responsibility has to be one person. And we set those goals over the quarter based on those values, You know, making sure that we're staying aligned with that. And then the process is just the execution, checking in on those values every day checking in on those goals on a weekly basis and seeing where we could use support. Since we implemented that system, it's there's not exactly a metric that measures this, but I would say that our speed of communication has gone up maybe triple. Like how quickly we're able to make decisions and get things done because of the way we have those meeting structures in the morning. That's okay. Can I end the episode here and then just tell people to hit repeat? That's like <laughs> anybody that's just listening to that. I honestly, I want to rewind it and say, okay, everybody get ready, pick up your pencils. You just gave me a phenomenal idea for the Monday morning meetings that I do with my admin team. I, I don't think there's an, well, I hope there's not a school leader out there that doesn't touch base for quick meetings in the morning with members of the admin team. But the way you laid that out is so important because one, you said the speed of communication gets people on the same page. But what good are your values if you're not reviewing them, if you're not living in them? Because once you do, like you said, the process takes care of itself. You have the goals that you select, but then the piece of empowerment really plays a role almost naturally because we talk about, when I talk about seeing people, supporting, engaging, empowering people, that engagement piece that I explain is being connected to it. Like you mentioned the people that, are even off-site, they're still connected to those values. When people have a personal connection to the larger picture, they're engaged. And then when you empower them, it's not about, I'm, I'm going to tell you what's here, I'm going to empower you to do this, just make sure you do it my way. Right. How many times do you hear that? Empowerment is having the trust in a person's ability and giving them that while it's almost an entrepreneurial mindset to be able to get something that you're empowered to do and make sure you get it done no matter how you get it done. But I love the way you put it, as long as you're following the values of the greater good. 
Yeah, I think one of the skills you mentioned is trust. When, when I look at that model of the values goals process, each of those correlates to a skill to a degree. So as a leader, the value skill is empathy. It's being able to see the person before the role that they hold. So you're communicating with them as a human being, not as a staff member first. And so it's seeing them, valuing them over their role, essentially. So the empathy is a, is a big piece of that. Then the second in the goals is authority. And a lot of people struggle between the balance of empathy and authority. Authority is, is uh, being able to hold accountable to a certain deadline. Deadlines really help with authority. You can say, we need this done by this time. Can that be accomplished? And so you're delegating that. But a lot of people think that they're too nice. And I don't think that's like they struggle with the authority piece sometimes in leadership. And the reason people will explain is that they're too nice. And I don't think that's true because I don't think you can be too nice. I think it's not that the niceness is over index. It's that the authority is lower. So you don't need to lower your empathy. You need to raise your authority and you can do that without lowering your empathy. And I think that's where a lot of leaders struggle to find that balance. And then the third is trust. And so goals, the, the way to manage goals is with authority. And then the process, the skill there is trust. It's trusting that your team can handle the process. And that's a piece of it that it requires the delegation. And if you have those, if you have the strong empathy, the strong values, the strong authority and the goals, then the trust is a lot easier. So let's talk about that a little bit. If we can live in that just for a second, because I thank you for breaking that down into skills because we talk about how we do things. We can talk about values, goals, process all day long, but until we talk about empathy, authority, and trust, they still are kind of nebulous. And so for us to wrap our head around it, the idea of empathy and authority, you don't often hear those in the same sentence. When you're talking about when you're talking about having a certain level of empathy, and it's not that your empathy is too high, it's that your authority is too low. How does a person raise their authority while keeping their empathy high? That's a, there's a lot to that. I think first is finding their voice. First is finding their voice, like being able to articulate what you want. Uh, a lot of people, I think, fall into the people pleaser mindset where they're doing for others consistently and they're not identifying what they want. And so I would go back to what we started with, to find their values, to find their goals, and then practice articulating that at the bare minimum level is being able to articulate how you want a situation to go out. So from a, a sales standpoint, let's say, when you're guiding someone through a sales call, which I don't like to think about as... There's a lot we could unpack about that, but I don't think sales is a manipulation. I think sales is finding someone who has... It's more about finding someone who needs what you have to offer than trying to convince somebody who doesn't need what you have to offer that they need it. And I think a lot of people think of sales as a convincing versus a empowering someone to get what they want. But to have authority in that, when you want to take the next step, you simply propose the next step and then ask, how does that sound? So if we were on a, if there was a sales call and I was talking to somebody about diverging you, I could propose the next step. We, we can get started tomorrow. How does that sound? That's the easiest way to practice that authority. State what you want to happen and then ask for rebuttals. Ask, how does that sound? That way you're still holding space for others to debate what you have to say from a leadership standpoint. But 
you're at least sharing your point of view of what you want to happen. So it's practicing sharing what you want the result. I would love for this to go this way. And you can do that in all areas of your life. Even if you're talking about spending time with family or friends, I would love to do this. How does that sound? You're taking the initiative to propose a time, propose an idea. So I think it's practicing that can help people with authority. That's excellent. Supporting your teachers and students seems to be a struggle. They just don't seem to be engaged. You wish they would take more responsibility for their learning and culture of the building, but they just don't seem to be empowered enough to do it. So my question is, have you checked out the book Seeing to Lead yet? It's all about creating a true educational experience where learning, growth, leadership, and community take center stage. Full of strategies and resources, Seeing to Lead is about attaining that goal by employing a model that supports, engages, and empowers all individuals to become leaders themselves. Pick up a copy today at seeingtolead.com. That's S-E-E-I-N-G-T-O-L-E-A-D.com. Remember, you don't become a leader and then decide you need to support and recognize others more than yourself. It is the moment you realize it's about supporting and recognizing others that you become a leader. Seeingtolead.com. So let's dive back into the school realm for a second. So I have some students that maybe have issues, whether they're maybe behavioral issues. And I have a teacher who is trying to run a class, but doesn't have enough empathy maybe for the students or doesn't see things from the student's point of view, but wants authority and the students are non-compliant. But the teacher responds by raising authority and then raising authority and raising authority. How is it that leaders can help teachers and even students, because we're talking about students building students as leaders, understand that authority in the bigger picture is just what you said. It's stating what you'd like to happen and inviting commentary and letting people know that, yes, you're suggesting, but they have a say. They have a seat at the table. Some people say, how do leaders help teachers and even students do that better? Is that a skill that can be challenging? Not easily taught, but I think respect is a two-way street. So if I don't expect, and maybe this is abnormal, I don't expect when a student starts my class or when an employee starts working for me, that they'll immediately respect me. I feel like I have to earn that respect by respecting them first. And so I think it's reciprocal. I think if there was a student that was misbehaving, it would be a, it would be my responsibility. I'll take an example in basketball. So I was coaching a, a second grade basketball team, right? Volunteer, volunteering to coach this team. And there was like eight, eight kids, you know, I'm the only coach. They're all, all over the place in basketball. They're very, you know, very new to basketball. So there's not a whole lot of drills we can do. I'm thinking about, you know, very high level. Oh, all they know how to do is dribble and shoot. And that's all we're going to work on. So there's just different fun ways to do that. But there was one kid who was getting very upset. I don't remember the exact situation. So I might box this a little bit, but he had to take a moment. So I went to him afterward. He was our leading scorer, right? He led all of like scored more points than everybody else, but he wasn't behaving well. And I let him have his tantrum for a moment. He went off the side and was crying and like upset because he wasn't getting as many shots as he wanted to or whatever. And I, I sat down with him. And I said, look, you're, you might be the best player on this team, 
But the skill that's going to help you get to the next level is how well you lead others. And so when you're misbehaving or you're stepping aside, it's influencing everybody else. And so that hurts everybody when you do that. And so like meeting him where he's at, respecting, saying you're a great player and really trying to explain to him why the buy-in to what we're doing would matter. It's it's trying to connect first. I think the best I can say on that uh, off the top of my head. But I think, like I said, respect is a is a two way street in that. Yeah, and that you know that is a complicated it it is a complicated scenario. And I I really like the example you gave because I had a similar example just at the beginning of the school year with a student who is a popular kid, but not necessarily a good leader. And I pulled the student aside and said to the student, and this is why I think about how difficult but important it is to build leaders. I said to him, hey, look, did you realize that you're a leader among your friends? And his response to me was, ah, get out of here, Dr. Jones. No, I'm not. I'm like, did you realize when you look around, all your friends look to you as to what you're doing and then they behave accordingly. And I don't know if you realize that, but I'd really appreciate it. If you use your powers for good instead of lesser acts. And, uh, he still said, no, 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 I don't, I don't, no, they don't follow me. I'm wondering how or if there's a way that as schools, more wholesale than one individual conversation, we can get students to build their self awareness because that's all that is. And then from there, that's almost the first step of knowing you need to work on your leadership. Because if I'm not aware of the influence or the impact that I have on those around me as a leader, there's no way I can become a better leader. So what do you think are the types of things that may work on that self-awareness? Because that's something you have to work on at Divergent You as well. So there's an overarching philosophical perspective here. The difference between convergent leadership versus divergent leadership. And you think of convergent like a pyramid. It's like top down. Power is at the top and you want to climb to the top of that to get to the power, right? And so we're competing up this hierarchy of power. And if you reach the top of that, you're the one in power. You have control over everything. And I think that's more of a convergent style. And that that's a, a structure that is effective in some ways and necessary in some situations. But I don't know if it's, if it's applicable to everything. So a divergent leadership structure would be more of a galaxy. And so... You picture it's expanding from leaders in the center, things are orbiting around them, but everyone's their own center in their own life. And so you are the source of power. You're not trying to climb to the top to get to power. You are expanding that from within. Your influence does matter. At Divergent you we define a leader as someone who makes decisions. So if you make decisions, you're a leader. Whether those decisions affect you or affect others, which all decisions will affect both, you're a leader and everybody makes decisions. So it's, it's a level of leadership, how much influence do decisions you have, have, but everybody makes their own decisions. So I think it's helping students to recognize they're the source of power. They're the source of impact. Um, they don't have to necessarily climb a hierarchy of power to get to the top. They have to develop themselves, their skills, their self-awareness, their ability to articulate their ideas, and that will attract things to them. And that's really what we teach our students at Divergent U, which is why entrepreneurship is a key component of it because they're building a brand that then attracts customers rather than them trying to go, I would say like hunting versus farming in the standpoint of, of sales. Like you're not going to hunt to get sales. 
you're creating something people want and people will come. You're farming internally. And I mentioned this in the last episode, Free the Roots. They're a soap company. They've built an audience of 200,000 people on Instagram by speaking to the culture in dreadlocks and providing a natural, healthy hair solution for dreadlocks. And that's resonated with the community that then attracts people to come to that community rather than them having to go out and find that opportunity. So they're not climbing a hierarchy of power. They're building a base, expanding. I think we can see that on an individual level. You can build yourself, your skills, and things will be attracted to that. I know I went on a tangent there, but that's my initial thoughts. No, that's a, that's a great tangent because you're hitting things that are so important for schools to understand with students. And now it would be so easy to say high school, but this is particularly important with middle schools as well. Building a brand. We talk about teaching students and the idea of these wonderful computers they have in their pockets that are typically not being used for computers except for social media and all of these things that they're putting out on social media. Some, hey, look, some are very good. Some are very bad. And you've got the spectrum in between. We talk about digital responsibility, digital citizenship, but to approach it as building a brand, that's the piece that's missing. Just recently, we did this a couple of years, a few years ago, where we made financial literacy a graduation requirement. And then the state moved to make it a mandatory graduation requirement a couple of years after we did that. But in that financial literacy class, there is some talking about brands. And we have business courses that talk about branding and building a brand, like our marketing courses. We have a DECA group, all the things that every high school USA has, or just about every high school USA. What is it that the students don't transfer? Because I don't think it's explicitly taught where the students don't transfer the idea that what they do online every day is their brand. And that's the brand that they're building. And that's where their power resides. Now, they can have good power. They can have bad power based on the brand that they built, like you're saying, from the, from the bottom up. So how do we make that connection? Other, is the only way to explicitly just beat the drum over and over again? Um, hmm. I've diverging you out. We, I've, I've been just mentioning entrepreneurship and business a lot, but the, to the point of the brand, it's not for the students who aren't entrepreneurial. They're still building a brand. It's a personal brand. It's their brand. And that's LinkedIn. That's Instagram. That's where they're creating their image. I think I'm curious to get your thoughts on this. I think that in, in the time period we're in now, attention is more powerful than money because if you have attention, then you can draw the money in. And so I think students understanding that the attention they generate is important for both them and the impact that they have. Like the attention you generate is going to generate opportunities for you, but also the attention you generate is a responsibility to share a message. And so I think them recognizing the power of having that brand, creating content, what they put out is going to impact people. It's also going to attract people. So if you going back to the simple model, you know what your values are and you know what your goals are, then you can approach your online presence that way. But I think that the schools may not have as they're still functioning in a way that is in that hierarchy where we've had students land jobs by building a personal brand. And so, like I said, if, if attention is more powerful than money, then maybe we should be helping students to understand what that attention is. How do you build a brand that gets attention in a healthy way 
that has an impact and can attract opportunities for you as well. I think if students were to recognize that's their main source of power, then that might, maybe that will resonate. Maybe that will help them to take that a little bit more seriously in how they go about building that presence. Okay, Sam. So here's the thing. You've done this a couple of times to me just in this episode. (laughs) We're asking the wrong questions. And you know what's great about this? In your first episode, you said the wrong questions are being asked. And when we're talking about how do we get students to build their brand, if I look at if I look at you, Sam, and I say, okay, Sam, we need you to get you to be aware of building your brand and how you build your brand. So what do you want your brand to be? That's the wrong question, as you just pointed out, because if I want you to be aware of the brand you're you're building, I have to get you to be aware of why you want the attention or what you want to do with the attention that you garner, because then your brand is going to flow from that. So Man. No, you get it. Same thing with businesses. You get the position where a lot of the businesses end up, brand becomes this almost, for lack of a better word, it's like dead. Like there's not like life to the brand because you add so much formula and so much market research and all that's important. But if it's not rooted in values and it's not rooted in a specific goal or mission, really not going to gain much traction. And that's very different than fit in. It's standing out. You're And quickly on a biological level, if you look at humans are prey animals, um, meaning we're designed to be aware of the carnivores and the predators, right? So there was a, uh, a group of scientists, I'm going to mess this up probably, but they were studying zebras, right? And they were trying to identify a specific zebra. And they could, they would look down, take notes, they'd look back up and the zebras blend with the herd. So they would lose track of the zebra they were, they were observing. So they put a red dot on the zebra they were wanting to observe. And as soon as they painted the red dot on the zebra, the lions hunted the zebra because standing out makes them vulnerable to the hunters. And so I, we have that same instinct that if I stand out, the predators are going to show up. I'm going to be attacked for my uniqueness. So it's better for me to fit in to my environment. But standing out is what attracts not only the predators, it also tracks the opportunities. So you just stepping into that space can be challenging because you're putting yourself out there. And that's where students have to be able to find their own voice, develop that competence. If they're taught how to fit in, they lose the ability to do that. And so it's a lot of it when it comes to the branding is still trying to get people to fit in, build your brand in a way that fits in versus what's unique to you that will stand out. And that will be polarizing sometimes. Sometimes polarizing is a good thing because if you're standing for something, the people who also stand for that will be attracted to that. People who don't will be repelled, but it's better than being passive in some sense. It's having their own voice. So I think that's, again, it's just finding that student voice. That's the the hardest part, but the root of the everything really. That is, that's perfect. And being perfect, the idea of that balance between fitting in and standing out, but developing your own personal identity and your own personal voice is so important and so powerful that once developed, if developed, can take a student along all the other steps, which that's, and I think that's a great place to stop this second episode because in the third episode, how's this for a segue? We're going to talk about personal development and um, how you help students and divergent you develop themselves personally. And we'll, you know, we'll do the back and forth and the dragon back to the 
secondary level as, as much as possible because that's something we need to be looking at as well. But, you know, Sam, I can't thank you enough. You've poured out so much information and poured so much information into me in this episode that it, it's just, it's fantastic. You've got me, you've got me all excited over here just thinking about the different possibilities. So thank you. Awesome. I'm super excited to be here and, and happy to, uh, happy to do it. You know, people are going to, are going to rewind this, listen to it again. I'm saying rewind. You know, I, I feel like the blockbuster days, please be kind of rewind. I think I just dated myself. People are going to go back to the beginning of this and they're going to listen again and pick up a lot of things. But, you know, as a jumping off point right from here and the idea of the things that we were talking about, about, you know, knowing the right question to ask and asking the right question, the balance between standing out or fitting in your personal brand. What's the best way people can reach out to you and get in touch with you to find out more about this stuff? Absolutely. Well, first, Divergent use website, divergent-u.com. Second, you can reach out to me personally, samterrell at gmail.com is my personal email. You can also reach out on Instagram, just samterrell. I do a lot of podcasts and speaking engagements. If there's any anything that you'd be interested in, anybody listening who'd be interested in talking about any of these topics, whether it applies to the education space, whether it applies to the business, or you think there might be an audience that would resonate with some of the things I have to say, I'd be happy to uh, happy to connect. Well, thank you very much, Sam. And, and hey, everyone, listeners, thank you very much for turning into another episode of Seeing to Lead, where we're talking about how we can better support, engage, and empower those they serve. You just heard Sam Terrell talk a lot about personal branding, asking the right questions, and you know, making sure that you're doing the right balance between standing out and sitting in so that you can develop yourself personally and move on. There must have been some things that resonated with I know I learned a lot. I'm sure you've learned some things. If that's the case, take the time. Make sure you like this show, share this episode, reach out to Sam, and share your biggest takeaway on all the socials. We'd really appreciate it. It would help other people find the show and benefit from it. And we would love to hear from you and get back in touch with you to see how we can maybe collaborate and go further. Well, that's a wrap, but not the end. Next step, be sure to take action on something you heard here today. Hey, thanks for listening to the Scene to Lead podcast. If you would like to connect for any reason, email me at drchrissj at gmail.com or catch me on Twitter at drcsjones. If you've gotten any value from the Scene to Lead podcast today, you can help me and other leaders create a world-class environment through a teacher-centric approach by subscribing to the show, leaving an honest rating or review, and sharing this episode on social media with your most valuable takeaway. Also, one last thing. Have you had a chance to pick up my latest five-star rated book yet? Grab your copy of Seeing to Lead anywhere you buy books or at seeingtolead.com. That's S-E-E-I-N-G-T-O-L-E-A-D.com, where you can learn more and continue to improve. Now go have a successful week. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out My Flex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flex time without the common challenges. 
its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com B to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com B-E.